Okay, so we've been in this awesome series called Basecamp, and I know our kids have loved it. It's been a blast so far. And today I get the honor and the privilege of announcing someone who we've became close to, and he's awesome, and I can't wait to hear what he's going to preach about. So give it up for my friend, Kit Bolt. Well, thank you, Taylor. Thank you for that introduction. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? All right. Well, I, can I just say that I am really excited about this series for one reason and one reason only. Um, it's been a number of months since I've been up here. And so um, when Heather asked me to, to speak this weekend um, and we started talking about what the series title was going to be, Base Camp spoke to me. And so I'm just excited about this weekend. I'm excited about this message series called Base Camp. And I simply cannot wait to share with you Uh, what God's put on my heart, and it's been bouncing around now for a couple months, and I'm excited to share with you. So um, I had a fantastic week. Did anybody else have a fantastic week? All right, good. So my week was fantastic because on Thursday was the opening of the archery deer season here in Illinois, and this is something that I live for, I'm passionate about, and so it, it consumes a large portion of my brain space on a daily basis. So I was blessed enough to be able to to go out and take Thursday off of work. I was even more blessed enough to to take a deer on the the opening morning within the first hour. And so yesterday we had some family members come over and we processed the deer. It looked a little bit like a combination of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Paula Dean's Kitchen in my house. But everything went well, and uh, so we have a number of of deer steaks, venison. Um, We also actually, for the first time this year, have a deer heart in my kitchen, in my fridge. My wife is pregnant right now, and so she's a little bit kind of iffy when it comes to the whole raw meat thing. And so a marinating deer heart in our fridge is, is a little bit of concern to her, but she's being a trooper. So just... Again, some good organic meat. Uh, hunters are, you know, the first organic hunters way before this whole thing was popular. So hashtag organic meat, all the social hashtags. Hashtag, uh, what else is there? Hashtag hunters rock. <laughs> hashtag vegetarians are boring. Ha- hashtag vegetarian is an old Indian word for terrible hunter. I'm kidding. If you're vegetarian here, don't get your broccoli all up in a bunch or anything. (laughs) Come see me after the service. So sitting here today, you probably have two questions on your mind. The first question is, does Kip realize he's still wearing his hunting clothes from Thursday? And this is like a normal thing for him to just wear his hunting clothes all the time. And the second question that you probably have is, is there any chance that something's going to die in the next 40 minutes? If you're new here, and this is your first chance being at Church 214, and you're getting a little bit uncomfortable about where this message is going, I'll answer the second question first, which is, no, nothing's going to die here in the next 40 minutes. That being said, fact in point, I will probably be out later this afternoon chasing after Bambi's dad. (laughs) Secondly, while it is true that I do have my camouflage on, it is clean, it is blood-free, I did that just for you. Um... The reality is, is that these pants are actually the most expensive pair of pants that I own. 
It's a true story. It's, it's no joke. In fact, I have suits that don't even cost as much as these pants. And so as I was getting ready this morning, I thought to myself, I may be a redneck if the most expensive pair of pants I own are camouflage. <laughs> the reality is, is that my wife is an encourager. She puts up with my hunting talk 24-7. Like I said, it, it consumes the majority of my brain space on any given day. Today, if you go to 99% of the households in America, they will be watching football. If you come to my house, there's almost 100% chance that the outdoor channel will be on, and that goes for most nights. Uh, we watch two channels at our house, Outdoor Channel and HGTV, and usually HGTV has something to do with preparing food. But the reality is, is that, you know, I do have one fear, and that fear is, is that if for some reason I were to ever pass, and Heidi were to sell all of my hunting stuff, one, I would be concerned that she would sell it. Two, I would be concerned that she would sell it for what I told her I paid for it. <laughs> it's a joke. You know it's a joke. We share everything. You know how much this stuff costs, and so I'm appreciative for your support in that. So today, we're going to continue in our message series, our, our series on the Beatitudes, and our series called Base Camp. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and get them out and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I'll give you just a moment to get there. So Matthew chapter 5. So we spent the first three weeks on the first three Beatitudes, and so we're just going to briefly revisit them. So week one... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Week two, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Week three, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And week four, today's message, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, base camp, when I think of base camp, a very specific uh, and very vivid image comes to mind, the, the actual base camp. So base camp, if you don't know, and I don't know that we've done a very good job of, of defining it, I'm going to define for you what an actual base camp is. An actual base camp is a main encampment providing supplies, shelter, communication for persons engaging in a wide series of activities, including reconnaissance, hunting, or mountain exploration, okay? A base camp, in my terms, is the last safe place that, from which we venture out into the wilderness. A base camp is a place of refuge in a storm and a place from which we return after scaling our mountain to refresh ourselves. So today, we're going to scale that mountain. Today, we are going to pursue the most elusive of the Beatitudes. You see, most of the Beatitudes are fairly easy to understand and wrap your mind around. But righteousness is a little bit less forthcoming. It's a, it's a little squirrely. It's a little bit hard to try to understand what it is. So today, we are going to pursue righteousness. We're going to chase after. We're going to hunt down righteousness in today's message. Does that make sense? So over the years, I think like many of you, I've tried to understand the characteristics and attributes of God. We're not going to get into all the details of the attributes of God today, but we do know a few things. We do know that God is omnipotent. 
we know that he's omnipresent. We know that he's holy. We know that he's sovereign. We know that he's merciful. And of course, we know that he is righteous. But we also know a number of other things. We also know from the scriptures that God is fierce, he is strong, and he's full of mystery. It tells us right in the scriptures, Jeremiah 20, 11, but God, a most fierce warrior. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. Also in Psalm 18, 2, think about it from this perspective. Think of it as you're, as you're hearing Psalms 18, 2, think about the term base camp and what that means. In Psalms 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my mountain where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. To me, that is the definition of a base camp. Also, we know that God is mysterious and full of wild things. In Job 11:7, it asks, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? I would argue, no, that we can't. I would also argue that while we know that these are all the attributes of God, characteristics of God, there's one that maybe you haven't thought of, and that is that God has the heart of a hunter. And here's the reason why I think that. In all of the scriptures and in everything we do, we know that God pursues us, his creation, infinitely. He's always pursuing us. He's pursuing us no matter how far we run, no matter how far we hide, no matter how far we try to put distance between us and him, hiding in the bushes, in our sin, in the darkness, trying to put distance between us and him. He's constantly pursuing us. He never stops. And so anyone or anything or any God that would pursue something so diligently has to have the heart of a hunter. So today, that's what we're going to do. We are going to leave base camp. And when I say base camp, think of base camp as an analogy for our faith. We're going to leave base camp, and we're going to set out and push into the wilderness. We're going to push up the mountain until we come out on the other side as we pursue God's righteousness. We're going to leave everything on the table. We're going to shed all the weight, and we're going to go until we have nothing left to give. And when we fail, and you'll find out that we do, unfortunately, it's in God's grace that we are actually able to succeed. Remember that, because we're going to come back to that part in just a moment. So to give you an idea of what an actual hunt of this magnitude and this difficulty would look like, the best analogy that I can come up with is a Rocky Mountain sheep hunt. Okay, now I don't have a bucket list. I never have. It's kind of weird. I hear family and friends talk about bucket list things all the time and how they would do this or they would go there or they would have this home or this car. And secretly, I've always kind of wondered, am I weird for not having a bucket list? And I think the reality is, as I start to process it and start to think why maybe I don't have a bucket list, and this isn't meant to be sappy, it's just meant to be the truth. I think the reality is, is that I don't have a bucket list because I'm living my bucket list. My wife and my kids are, and my faith are the three most important things in my life, albeit hunting is a huge portion of that as well. I have an amazing wife. I have amazing kids. Our faith is the center of our marriage and the center of our family. And so everything else is icing on the cake. Nice houses, nice cars, good jobs, all of that is just icing on the cake. And so if God provides that for us, 
we're thankful and we have gratefulness. If he doesn't, then we don't expect it. I think maybe part of the reason why I don't have a bucket list is because I think sometimes when we have things like bucket list, and this isn't meant to be a knock about bucket list, it's simply when we have the expectation that we deserve something, then it starts to cloud what we're really able to attain. So that's just a side aside. So a Rocky Mountain sheep hunt, if I did have a bucket list, this would certainly be on the bucket list. And to give you kind of a real world example, but also the analogy of what we're going to do today, I want to just show with you what a real world base camp is. So there's a picture of what a real world base camp looks like, if we can throw that up there. So here we are. We've got these two guys. This is their base camp. This is, this is the real deal, guys. They're, there's green grass, kind of, um, they're comfortable, they're chilling, they got blue sky. You can see in the background that where they're going. This is where they're at now, but they're going to scale that mountain and they're going to chase after Rocky Mountain sheep. Um, the guy on the right has no pants on. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly what's going on there, but suffice to say they're comfortable, right? And they're ready to set out. They're having probably a cup of coffee and, and strategizing about where they're going to go. But to give you an idea of where they're going, and where we're going as we pursue righteousness, we're going to go up the mountain. And as you go up the mountain and as you leave base camp, things get ugly quickly, as in hunting, as in real life. As they scale the mountain, they will sometimes ascend upwards of 2,500 feet in a day. Okay, They will experience temperature swings as much as 40 degrees in a single hour and they will experience winds that exceed 80 miles an hour on the mountain. This is, a, this is a picture of real life. This is where they're going, and the concept, or excuse me, the reality that death or great bodily harm might come is, is a constant reality for these guys, and yet they're going to ascend the mountain regardless. So one thing about mountains that's kind of curious to me is that as you read through the scriptures, there's often references to either God as a mountain or living in the mountain or his spirit as part of the mountain. And there's dozens and dozens of examples of this. But just a few examples, I'm going to throw a few out there for you. Psalms 125.2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Micah 1, 3 through 4 tells us, For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down from a deep place, steep place. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rendering the mountains and breaking it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the, earth, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He stood at the entrance of the cave. Caves are on 
mountains. And so over and over again, this is just a small sample of, of Scripture from the Bible that talks about God being on the mountain or being a part of the mountain or his spirit in the mountain. There's this interesting phenomenon that happens. So one thing about me is, is that I always try to, to view everything that I see or read or hear or have conversations with people through the knowledge of who I know God to be in my life. So whether that's I'm listening to music on the radio, secular or Christian, reading something, secular or Christian, having a conversation, listening or reading things about the medical field or the science field. I think as Christians, we need to stop pushing and holding science at arm's length and start understanding science through who we know God to be. Science has miraculous things that happen. We have a miraculous God. To me, the two fit together like two pieces of a puzzle. But the reality is, is I try to view everything in my life through the knowledge of who God is in my life. And so as I was listening to the radio the other day, there was a discussion about this thing called the overview effect. And the overview effect is also known as an astronaut effect. And it simply says that when people are extreme altitude, whether it's astronauts or mountain climbers or hunters or explorers, when they're extreme, at extreme altitude or possibly in space or possibly even from the face of the moon, there's this overwhelming sense of awe and peace that comes over them. It's called the overview effect. And science has tried to study it. Psychologists have tried to study it to try to understand why it is. There's this sense of awe. And like I said, it's sometimes known as the astronaut effect because that's where it was first identified. But what happens is, is that these people start to turn to religion to provide context for what they're feeling. They don't understand it. There's just this sense of overwhelming peace that comes over them at high altitude. And so when I'm listening to it on the radio, right, I'm going, well, duh. But the reality is, is that when you start to look at it, many of these people are experiencing this and they're turning to religion, but not only just religion, they're, re- they're looking to Christianity specifically. And there's actually two very famous examples of this. Charlie Duke and Jim, Jim Irwin were both Apollo 15 and 16 astronauts. They were, one was an, an atheist and one was an agnostic prior to their trip. They went to the face of the moon. Both of them turned to Jesus and gave their life to Jesus. And actually Jim Irwin, after he retired from NASA, became a preacher, okay? And there's many, many examples like this. This is just two examples of famous people that have experienced this. And Here's my thought, and this is just simply my opinion, but I think what they're experiencing is this. When we're at high altitude, whether it's on the mountaintop or on the face of the moon, God is saying to these people, here is an infinitely small sample of my perspective. And we start to experience that, and we start to go, hey, maybe my problems aren't so big. Hey, maybe from this altitude, I can see that when I'm down in the trenches, my problems seem this big, but when I'm on the face of the moon and I see a tiny little speck floating in an eternity of space, maybe there's something bigger than me. When we're in the trenches, we are the center of our universe. When we're on the face of the moon, all of a sudden, our perspective and our place in the universe becomes 
infinitely clear. And that's just, that's just my perspective. So before we head out on the mountain and before we leave base camp, we're going to need a few basic supplies. We don't want to head out onto the mountainside without our supplies. And so we're going to need water because what we're about to do is going to be extremely treacherous and it's going to be extremely exhausting. So we're going to need water. We're going to need lights and we're going to need discernment and we're going to need a weapon. We're going to need clarity of vision and we're going to need an extremely strong desire to succeed because as we pursue this, this will be one of the hardest things that we ever do. The good news is, is like all things in life, the Bible has exactly what we need. So let's turn and see what the Bible has for us. We're going to need water and food, as I mentioned. So luckily, God's word provides this. In Isaiah 33, 15 through 15, it says, Those who walk righteously and speak uprightly, who despise the gain of oppression, and who wave away a bride instead of accepting it, who stop their ears from hearing bloodshed, and shut their eyes from looking at evil. So as I was preparing last night, I actually was reading through this and, and kind of committing it to heart, and something jumped out at me, and I wanted to share it with you. And this is a bit of a side note. So here we are, who stop their eyes from hearing the bloodshed and shut their eyes from looking on evil. So we're in October, and at the end of this month, there's going to be something called Halloween. And I'm hesitant to call it a holiday because I don't really view it as a holiday, but needless to say, in this country and in this culture, Halloween is the second most celebrated holiday behind Christmas, okay? Now, in the, in the spirit of full disclosure, I grew up celebrating Halloween, probably like many of you did. In fact, I'm actually sad to say um, one of the years that we dressed up, we actually, my brother and I, we dressed up as devils. My mom made us devil costumes. I had a pitchfork and horns and the whole bit. Most years, it was slightly more bland. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Pirates, uh, He-Man, you name it, we did it. But the reality is, is, is that if I could just encourage all of us, especially those of us with kids, I don't know that this is true, but I feel that it's true. Halloween was much more vanilla two decades ago than it is today. I feel like Halloween used to be more about a festival. It used to be about having fun. And now Halloween's more about giving the opportunity for people who have darkness and evil in their hearts, a chance to expose that to the general population without any concern of judgment or condemnation. It's like, hey, you have some really dark stuff in your life and we're gonna give you a platform to show it to the rest of the world. And I'm not saying that we don't reach out to those people. What I'm saying is as parents and as people who call ourselves to a higher standard, I would just really encourage us to think about what we're opening our eyes to, what we're allowing into our homes, what we're allowing our kids to see. I mean, the concept of allowing our kids who were called to protect and raise up to love and follow God, the opportunity to see people being brutally abused, um, dismantled, just all sorts of horrific things. I'm not sure that that's the best thing that you could allow in your home. That's just, that's just me. That's a side note, but I would just encourage you to kind of chew on that and think about that as we approach the end of this, this month. 
So moving on, who stop their ears from hearing bloodshed and shut their eyes from looking at evil, they will live on the heights. Their refuge will be a fortress of rocks. Their food will be supplied and their water assured. So secondly, we're going to need a light. We have our food and water, but we're going to need a light. And we don't need just a light. We need the light. Because as we leave base camp and we pursue righteousness and we head up the mountain, I tell you what, it's going to be hard. It's going to be the hardest thing you ever do. In fact, you're going to get up before sunrise. You're going to come back after sunset. There's going to be rock slides and pitfalls and possibly dangerous animals. And so you're going to need a light to show you the way. You're going to need to be able to pick which direction up the mountain you go. And so in the Bible, again, it gives us exactly what we need. Psalm 119, 105, your, lo- your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. Thirdly, we're going to need discernment. As we head up the mountain, if you've ever done any hiking or been on a mountain, you know that picking your path, picking your line as they call it, is one of the most important things that you can do. If you pick the wrong line, you might succumb to a rock slide, you might twist an ankle, you might fall down, but if you pick the right line, you're going to succeed. We need to be able to look and see where we're placing our foot right in front of us, but also way up ahead. Because if we're only looking right in front of us, then you're going to pick the wrong line. You're going to pick the wrong path, and then you're going to get down that path, and you're going to wonder, how did I get here? So we're going to need discernment as we pick the path that we go. Hosea 14, 19. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. Lastly, we're going to need a weapon. We're going to need a weapon for multiple reasons. And as I think we know, I'm partial to the bow and arrow. But a weapon will allow us to execute on God's plan for us, and it will also allow us to protect ourselves as we're in the wilderness. Psalm 44, 6 through 7, For I will not trust my bow, nor will my sword save me, but you have saved me from my adversaries. You have set, you have put to shame those who hate us. Lamentations 3, 12. He, sent, he bent his bow and sent, set me as the target for his arrow. So now we're prepared, guys. We have everything we need. We're about to leave base camp. We have all the provisions that we need. And so we're about to set out on, through the wilderness and up the mountain and come out on the other side of the tree line. Regardless of how well we prepare, though, we are uniquely positioned to fail. And that's a hard thing to hear, but I'll share with you in a little bit about why. But as we pursue up the mountain and we push through the wilderness and we're going to get to the heights of the mountain, there are going to be things that come in our way. As we pursue God's righteousness, there are going to be specifically people who want to sidetrack you. There's two types of people. The first type of person is the self-righteous. The self-righteous have the right idea, but they put their righteousness on the wrong person. We are only righteous because of our place within God. Let's be clear. Only God is truly righteous. The Bible tells us, in fact, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so the self-righteous will tell you that you'll never be good enough. The self-righteous 
righteous are confident in their own righteousness, all the while believing that they can somehow generate within themselves a righteousness that is acceptable to God. Self-righteousness is a form of legalism. And this might touch on a few of you today, and it, it might strike a, strike a nerve, and we can spend more time on legalism later, but self-righteousness is a form of legalism. If you're lucky enough to not know what the term legalism is, it's a doctrinal position that emphasizes a system of rules and actions for achieving both salvation and spiritual growth. Jesus saved some of his harshest criticisms for the self-righteous. Jesus healed the sick, he loved the poor, he spoke to the scarlets, and yet he saved his harshest criticisms for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The self-righteous, hear me, the self-righteous choose to focus on the law itself versus the intent of the law. Doctrinally, legalism and self-righteousness is specifically in 180 degrees in opposition of the ministry that Jesus came to preach, which is grace. Those that adhere to a strong legalism mentality can tell you that you will never be perfect, and they are right. We never will be perfect. Not even close. And that is why there is grace. We live in the shadow of grace, coming back to what we were talking about earlier. We live in the shadow of grace that has been afforded us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that's the first person that will look to take you off your line as you press through to the mountaintop. The second person that's going to take you off your line are those that completely and unilaterally disregard righteousness altogether. They are the ones that not only disregard the law, but the intent of the law. These are the ones that will tell you, you'll never be perfect, so don't even try. They say things such as, don't worry about cheating on your taxes, no one will ever know. Don't worry about that dishonoring conversation because that person will never find out. Don't worry about the late night conversation with someone other than your spouse. Your spouse will never find out. Don't worry about being faithful giver. Someone else will do it. And don't worry about the addiction because all of us struggle with addiction in some capacity. And the list goes on and on. I could give you a hundred different examples, but the reality is, is that I would venture to guess most of us, myself included, have said something like this to a family member or a coworker or a colleague or a friend. And the reality is that we will never be righteous, but the reality also is that we are still called to pursue it. We are called to be set apart. The Bible tells us, Proverbs 21, 21. Again, we're, we're called to pursue righteousness. Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. So here we are. We're above the tree line, guys. We've pushed through the wilderness. We're now to the mountaintop. This is where the oxygen gets thin. This is where we are, legs, our legs are burning. We have cramps. We've fallen multiple times. Even though we picked the right line, that doesn't guarantee that you're not going to slip and fall from time to time. 
We've misjudged the climb, and now we have bumps and scrapes and all sorts of wounds from our journey. But the object of our pursuit is still ahead of us. We can see it. It's elusive. Righteousness is elusive in that way. It kind of comes and goes through the fog of life. You can see it, but then it disappears. Just as soon as you think you're about there, it's gone. But where did it go? We've pursued righteousness with the best of our ability, but just like on actual hunts and just like on hunts that we're explaining here, the most difficult of hunts, the reality is is that the chances of your success are infinitely small. And to give you an example, the sheep hunt that I just explained, the chances of arrowing a Rocky Mountain sheep with a bow and arrow is less than 5%. And you get one chance in your lifetime. Once you've drawn a tag, that's your chance. And after that, you're excluded. You can never draw a tag again. The same is true for righteousness. Righteousness was actually never meant to be had by men. We are called to pursue it, but righteousness, true righteousness, is God, God's only. In fact, we know one of the names of God is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Also in Romans, it tells us, as it is written, there is none that is righteous. No, not one. God is our righteousness, and he is the only one that we can pursue. But we have to understand that just like in real hunts, there is the likelihood that we will not succeed. Most hunters will actually tell you that it's not the final act of a hunt that's the most enjoyable. It's actually the pursuit itself. The, the energy and the thought and the emotion that goes into the pursuit is what makes it special, not the final act. We don't have to be perfect. We have to strive to be righteous, but we don't have to be perfect. I tell you this, we have to be better today than we were yesterday in our faith, and we're called to be better tomorrow than we were today. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be better. And as hunters, just like in real life, we don't stop until we're exhausted. We don't stop until we have nothing left in our legs. Our lungs are burning. Every ounce of our body is crying out saying, I can't go any further. And so is the same in life. As we pursue righteousness, you will fall. I'm telling you right now, I fall every day. I try to be better today than I was yesterday, and I'm going to try to be better tomorrow than I am today. But even if I pick the right line, even with a strong base camp, a strong faith, I'm going to fall. I'm going to slip. The rock slides are going to come, guys. We got to watch out for them. We got to surround ourselves with other hunters, other people of faith that will encourage us when we do fall down. When the rock slide happens, they reach out a hand and say, here we go. Let's keep going. And so now we're on the other side of the tree line. We're at the mountaintop. But let me tell you this. As I've said before, we will fall short of righteousness. And so, as I said, it's in the shadow of God's grace that that bridge is gapped. It's in that shadow that God says, you tried. And I knew from the very beginning of time that you would not succeed. And therefore, that is why I sent my son to bridge that gap for you. 
So let's never stop pursuing. Let's never stop in our life as we wake up every morning in base camp. Our faith is strong. How do you make your base camp stronger? You make your base camp stronger by being in the Word of God every morning. Even if it's two minutes, commit it to memory. I know I've not always been the best about this, but that's why I surround myself with people that encourage me and say, this is where base camp gets stronger. The stronger your base camp, the stronger and more ready you'll be to head up the mountain. And when you fall, surround yourself with people that will pick you up. But know, going into the expedition, know from the very beginning that you're going to fail and know that you have a safety net and his name is Jesus. Let us never stop pursuing. Let us never stop hunting down as God never stops pursuing us. As he's never stopped from the beginning of creation until the end, he will not stop pursuing us. And we should not stop pursuing him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are just so in awe of who you are. As we learned about today, just the overview effect, this sense of awe and wonderment, this sense of pure, just awe of your creation and who you are and the perspective that you have given us when we're at altitude. I pray that we don't have to be at altitude to see that. I pray that every day we will have the opportunity to see your perspective on life. Lord, allow us to pursue you as you've pursued us. Allow us to never get discouraged. Don't let the rock slides of life get in the way. Lord, we pray that you would give us favor as we try to be better today as we were over yesterday and tomorrow better than we were today. Father God, we thank you for being a righteous one, being a God that never changes, is always righteous, and has sent your son, Jesus, to bridge the gap between our failure and you, knowing again from the beginning of creation that we would not be able to scale the mountain, that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard our effort, that we would fall short. And so you sent your son for us. Lord, he became the bridge. He became the gap. He became the one that said, here is my hand, take it, and I'll help you the rest of the way. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for all that you've done, Lord. We pray for your blessing and your favor over this church. In your name we pray, amen.